Hello and welcome to the Mindful Commerce Podcast, a place where we talk to e-commerce brands, service providers and developers who care about protecting our planet. I'm Chrissy, And I'm Rich and we're your hosts. The podcast is an extension of the Mindful Commerce community. The Mindful Commerce community is a safe place for e-commerce brands and experts to connect, collaborate and explore opportunities to work together to unleash the power of e-commerce as a force for good. You can join by going to mindfulcommerce.io and clicking community. See you there. Hello, this is the second episode of our series where we upload our special panel events with our e-commerce and sustainability experts. This event is all about the circular economy. Why e-commerce brands should get involved and how can they go about it in the easiest and most efficient way possible. Our incredible guest speakers are Claire and Adam. Claire is from One Circular World, which is an educational resource exploring the circular economy. Not just for business managers, politicians or policymakers, but for all of us, including those in the e-commerce world. And Adam is from Recurate. Recurate enables a beautifully integrated resale marketplace directly on e-commerce stores. So this means you can very easily integrate a second-hand store directly on your website, which is great for your brand and great for the planet. If you're a regular listener, follow us on social media or have gone through our incredible sustainability framework, you'll know that I talk about Recurate a lot. So this was a long time coming. So thank you, Adam. And thank you, Claire, so, so much for taking the time to deliver your knowledge to us and thank you to those who attended the event live and thank you lovely listeners for being here with us on the podcast and so if you enjoy this event you'll love being in our community we are introducing live training events in our community group so it's a great time to get involved if you want to learn about growing your e-commerce business in the most sustainable and positively impactful way. You can join the community for free by going to mindfulcommerce.io and click on community. I'll also link to the direct link to join on the show notes. Okay, let's get right into it and let's go over to the event. Enjoy. Good afternoon, everybody. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We're going to be talking about the circular economy. Uh, and what can basically people do with it, particularly from a um, commerce perspective. First of all, I'm going to give you a quick, quick introduction to me. So like many of us, I wear many different hats. So I run a design studio. Um, I identify as a designer. I trained as an interior architect and I specialised in eco-sustainable kind of ways of working that eventually became a circular economy way of thinking. Um, that was founded in 2008. And I also, um, I'm a lecturer at the University of Sussex and I'm uh, the head of the product design course at the University of Sussex. And uh, mostly because of my um, interference, I suppose, we have become quite a sort of a hub for circular economy kind of learning with regards to products and how it can become 
um, you know, an integral part of the educational process because our product designers are making all the stuff that we have in the world. So that's another day job. As far as volunteer stuff, I'm actually the working group coordinator for the Global Ghost Gear Initiative, which is a bit of a mouthful, but basically this is end of life fishing nets, stuff that's been abandoned, lost or discarded. And this is a global thing. So we've got members of the Triple GI that are really little organizations like me and my design studio all the way through to governments. So it's really far reaching and an amazing set of people doing incredible stuff globally. On a more lo local scale, um, so I'm based usually down in Brighton, even though I'm in, in uh, Lincolnshire. I think I said Lancashire a minute ago. I'm in Lincolnshire. Um, so I'm actually based down in Brighton and Hove. And I'm one of the uh, regional reps for Surfers Against Sewage, which again is a volunteer role. And I'm the plastics person. Um, as I say, disclaimer, I don't surf, but I can snowboard. And I know nothing about poo, but I know a lot about plastic. So that's basically the stuff that I do uh, for Surfers Against Sewage, um, leading beach cleans, educating people about plastic in particular, marine plastic. And that's been my specialist nerd niche, as I call it, for the last sort of 12 years. And then everything sort of come together with one circular world, which is the hats that I'm wearing today. Um, and I'm going to talk to you a little about that in a second. But how does all of that knit together? It all knits together because of design, because everything we have in the world is designed from our systems to our stuff. Uh, the way that we behave has been designed and influenced in multitude of different ways. And a lot of that can come down and be influenced in a good way, I think, through behavior change, circular economy thinking, and the value of the products and the materials we have in our lives, regardless of whether there's something that is relatively short term or something that lasts for a very, very long time. So basically, I deal with people and I deal with stuff. So that is the sort of the top line of everything I do. So I know a lot of you have probably joined this and know a lot about the circular economy, but just in case you are not too sure about the terminology, this is the kind of way I explain it to most people. Um, it's basically how the natural world works. So if you think about it, you can have a leaf, that leaf will get eaten by a caterpillar, the caterpillar gets eaten by the bird, the bird sadly dies, um, international symbol for a, a previous bird, that bird falls to the floor, it composts, and then it ends up um, nourishing the earth itself and allowing a tree to grow more leaves, which can then be eaten by more caterpillars. So you can see here that even though I've put this in a line, it's a system that works in a circle or a loop in a way, because it's a little bit more complex than that. So whatever is at the end will eventually go back to the beginning. But we don't work in that way. We're the only species on the planet that creates any kind of waste which is quite staggering. So we work in this linear way. We dig things up, we make something, we sell and we buy things, and then it gets to the end of its life, regardless of how long that life is. And it mostly ends up in landfill or it ends up in incineration. And sometimes it gets recycled, but it works in a linear way. Not all of our systems work in that cyclical way, just like nature does. So. If in doubt, when you're thinking about the circular economy, because it can be pretty complicated, and we're gonna dial into a few bits of it in a second, think about how nature works. Does nature do this? If it doesn't, then it probably isn't part of a circular system. So another way of calling it is cradle at the beginning to the grave at the end. It's a linear lifeline. Now I have a bit of an issue with the word sustainable, but 
it is generally the word that most people associate with green living, eco living, sustainable living. But if we think about that linear model we just looked at, in the truest sense, that isn't a sustainable way of working because we have finite resources, we have finite amount of carbon we can put up into the atmosphere, we're really reaching the limits. So to sustain that way of working into the future, it's going to be hard, if not impossible. So this is why I tend to try not use the word sustainable I'm teaching because I really need to tell the students they need to shake up the system a bit and make the system better. So a lot of people go, amazing. Well, that's the reduce, reuse, recycle, isn't it? We've been doing that for a long time. Well, not quite, because use this little diagram here. Um, we've got the linear economy, the cradle to the grave. Stuff gets made, stuff goes to the bin. Then we have the recycling economy, which is better. You can see the bin I've drawn is a lot smaller, but it means that things might take a little bit longer, but invariably they get to um, not being a greater quality or they get broken and invariably they just end up in the bin anyway. But the idea with the circular economy is that we don't have a bin at all. Everything goes round in a circle or a loop and it isn't as neat and tidy as this, but it goes round and round and round, sometimes in the same form, i.e. a plastic bottle to a plastic bottle, sometimes in different forms, like a fishing net, all the way through to um, a carpet tile, for example. But it gets transformed in different ways or into the same thing again, it goes round and around. And it is a lot more complicated than just making stuff. We have what we call a hierarchy of actions. And this is a really important thing to think about when you are understanding how to engage in a circular economy, either as an individual or as a brand. So we have the reduce, reuse, recycle in this spectrum here. And you can see the biggest one we have is reduce. We kind of need to reduce a lot of things that we're buying, using and consuming so quickly. And we have got recycling there and we've got rubbish, um, which is basically at the very end. But we've got reusing the stuff again and again. We've got longevity. We've got repairing, which is part of reuse. So if you have something that needs to last a long time, you might need to amend it to be suitable for whatever your how your life has changed. It might be that it needs repairing as it goes along. And we know that so many of our products are not designed to be repaired. They're produced with snap fittings, which means that you can't really easily get into them. They break as you try to get into them. It might be we can't get parts. So the way that our stuff has been designed has meant that circularity in this sense has become much, much harder. So that's something we're trying to shake up in the educational system. We do have recycling, of course, but recycling is a destructive process, i.e. the thing needs to be dismantled, taken to pieces, smashed apart, melted before it can be turned back into something, which of course takes energy. And then we have recovery, which is a fancy word for incineration with energy that take, is taken from the incineration process. Then hopefully, if we've got a biological waste, we might be rutting it, turning it into compost. And at the very, very, very bottom, we have rubbish, which might be landfill. So you can see here, this is like the hierarchy of what we want to be doing. Rubbish at the very bottom and actual reduction at the very, very top. But when we really think about circular thinking, you get even fancier little sketches like this one, which is called the butterfly system or the butterfly sketch. 
And you can see here, we've got each of those different hierarchies that we've just looked at, but we've sort of split them into halves. So we've got us as the people in the middle at the bottom. At the very top, we've got our linear system. So we're we grabbing the stuff out, we're manufacturing our things, we're distributing, selling our things to us, but instead of it going to the grave at the very bottom, the landfill incineration, it gets split into two elements. So technical materials, which is everything synthetic, um, metals go into that as well. Everything that's biological is everything that's organic, not in the certified sense, but in the sense that it's been grown. And I just want you to take five seconds to look around your room now and look at every single thing in that room. And you will not be able to find anything that isn't either a technical material or a biological material. So where I'm sitting at the moment, I'm sitting at a table and it's got a wood core. So that's very much a biological material, but it has a plasticized top to it. So that's a technical material. So some things might be pure. I've also got a cotton tea towel looking at me. So that's pure cotton, but we might have something that's a mixture of the two, just like this table. So we might have something that's purely technical material, synthetic like a plastic, something that's biological like this tea towel that's looking at me, or we might have something in the middle. But each of these things can be split and we could be thinking about how we might be reusing them, how we might be repairing them, how we might remanufacture them, or at the very end, recycle them. And hopefully the recycling goes into some kind of remanufacture stage. So nothing really drops through the bottom. If this is a big sieve, all of our stuff is sitting in the sieve and it's nothing's falling through the gaps at the bottom into landfill or incineration. As soon as we start to mix things together, just like this table I'm sitting at, it makes it harder to reprocess. So when we're thinking about circular systems, we really want to try and keep them as pure as possible to either being a biological material or either being a technical material if we can. But this is basically how circularity works. It's a series of systems that interconnect and cross over in a multitude of different ways. I'm happy for you guys to have these slides as well, because these are all my little doodles in here. So um, it, it makes it much easier to look back at it um, when you're thinking about this. So if we go back to our hierarchy of actions, I want to look at a few examples of how different brands are doing really great stuff in different stage. So I have a few hero brands that I talk about. Uh, some you might agree with, some you might disagree with. Yeah, really happy to chat about this. But one of my favorite brands is Patagonia. And Patagonia are, have been going for a long time. Uh, and I actually had a very interesting conversation with a friend who wondered whether Patagonia were doing the good stuff because they needed and wanted to do the good stuff or whether they understood that the good stuff would make them money. And in some ways, it's kind of a bit of both because business makes money. Circular economy has economy in the second half. It's not done for fun, it's done for business. So this is something we really need to understand that you can be a business and work in an ethical manner. And really you should be, there's no question about it. But if we look at the refuse and the reduce, which is the first two of our sort of hierarchy of actions, we can see that this is something that Patagonia did um, quite a few years ago now, which was the ad that they ran in the New York Times just before the Black Friday events. And it said, don't buy this jacket. 
Now that isn't the sort of advert you'd usually see around Black Friday. You'd be like, buy this thing. This thing that you own isn't good enough anymore. This is how you should upgrade it. This is what you should spend your money on. And Patagonia went the other way and went, no, we don't want you to buy this jacket unless you really need it. We don't want you to buy this jacket unless you pledge to actually repair it and keep it going for as long as possible. So it's almost like you were entering into a contract that you were saying, okay, I take ownership and I take stewardship of this jacket, but it isn't something that is just a throwaway item because you understood that the brand wanted to help you keep it going for longer. And Patagonia do do this. They have one of the largest repair facilities in the US. Um, and you know they will help you find a second market and Patagonia stuff holds its value really well because it's good quality. So this is one brand that's working really well in the kind of the refuse and the reduce sections. Yes, they're massive, but this doesn't mean to say that smaller brands can't do similar things as well. When we go to reuse, we can look at systems like Loop. Now Loop, again, originated in the US and it's just come to the UK and it's functioning through Tesco, which is really interesting. And Loop is a deposit return scheme, but it's actually maintained by the Loop manufacturers themselves. So the interesting thing with refill stores, and I'm sure wherever you are, um, there's probably somewhere you can go and get a refill of beans, pasta, etc. But it's not really a branded item. It's a generic item of pasta, etc. rice, because quite often we're not really wedded to any particular brand when it comes to loose still items. Whereas when it comes to some other things like your deodorant, like your ice cream, like your tomato ketchup, some people will only buy a particular brand. Now, how do you get somebody who is that wedded to a particular brand to engage with the reuse system? Because it's very much you go to the shop, you buy it, you use it, it ends up in recycling. So Loop bridges the gap. You basically do your shopping as you would do usually. You pay slightly more for your items, but those items come packaged in glass, in stainless steel and in refillable packaging. And then when your next delivery arrives, you can put your empties into your loot box and they go back for refilling. So you're getting the actual items in a reusable container, which looks pretty awesome. Doesn't have any leaching of chemicals from the plastic into the item as well, which some people are concerned about. But it means that you're able to get your Heinz tomato ketchup or your Haagen-Dazs ice cream or something that you really are wedded to. So again, this is a massive example. But if you run a business that has any kind of item that is used up, is there a way that you can try and get that packaging back to be able to refill it for your customer? And there's a huge amount of benefits for this because you have to buy less packaging because you're not giving away the packaging with your item. And also it means that you're taking responsibility for that packaging as well, which is actually a really great thing in the eyes of the consumer. So there's lots of wins if you can incorporate any kind of reuse system into whatever business model you have. As we said earlier, repairing is something that we used to be able to do. There were screws that held things together. Now, if you want to try and get into your iPhone, you need special tools to get into your iPhone because Apple doesn't want you to get into it. But there are lots of companies that are challenging this. And Fairphone is one of the best examples of repair. So the Fairphone is designed to be taken to pieces and to be upgraded. So instead of every 18 months or so, when your telephone provider rings you up and say, hey, you're entitled to a free upgrade, 
Nothing's free, by the way. If it's free, it means somebody else is paying along the way. And all they want is for you to carry on paying your monthly subscription. If you own your handset, you're not making them any money anymore. The way the Fairphone works is that they don't really want you to have a new phone. If you want to upgrade your camera, great, buy the camera module, take it to pieces, plug your new camera module in, and then you can send the old one back to them. So it's an upgradable system, not the entire handset like we have with most of the other manufacturers. So if you have anything that's electronic that will get out of date, batteries get old, they wear out, is there a way that you can take it to pieces, which makes it actually easier for you to be able to repair it as a manufacturer, as a, as a producer, but it definitely means that other people are empowered to want to keep it going for longer. As we said, circularity means keeping stuff in the loop for as long as possible before it gets towards the bottom of that sieve and could potentially fall through the bottom. Redirection. eBay is the best example of redirection we've had. Boot fairs, charity shops, anything that means that you are giving something a different life in a different way uh, with a different owner. But what is interesting for retail is that this hasn't really been tackled much. It's been very much a person to person or a business to business kind of model. But IKEA has literally just launched their circular system, which means that they will take back your old IKEA furniture and they will help redistribute it. So this is secondhand IKEA furniture. Yeah, of course, it has to be in working order. It can't be falling to pieces. Um, and that is one criticism of some IKEA furniture is it's designed to be put up and kept up. It's not designed to be put up, taken to pieces, put back up again, etc. But a lot of IKEA stuff is very solidly made, whether you like it or not. So it is actually great to be actually redistributed. And a lot of IKEA furniture isn't seasonal. It doesn't come in and out of fashion. You find the same thing for years and years and years. So it has got quite a, um, a utilitarian way of being designed, which means that it's great for redirection. If it's in good condition, um, why not distribute it to somebody that needs it? So this has just been launched. It had a bit of a, a hold because of uh, COVID, but it's just been launched in the UK. Um, it's been interesting to see how it goes, um, hopefully really well. Renting is something we don't really think about. We rent um, hotels, Airbnbs, we rent cars, but we've never really thought about renting clothes. This is something that's very circular. Sometimes it's you rent something for a small amount of time, like a tuxedo or a prom dress. But there are actually companies like Mud Jeans, which allow you to lease your piece of clothing. And at the end of that lease period, you can send it back to either be leased to somebody else, to be purchased by somebody else, or reprocessed if it's completely smashed to pieces. And as the founder of Mud Jeans likes to say, they don't weather and age their jeans, which is what happens in a lot of brand new jeans. They go through multiple processes to make them look weather beaten and worn with holes in the knees. He's like, lease the jeans from us and you do the wearing out for us. So instead of a brand new jean, pair of jeans being ripped to bits, you know, go and climb a mountain in them and rip them for us. So it's a really interesting model that makes you understand a little bit more about fast fashion. So even if you're a clothing retailer, retailer, it doesn't mean to say that you can't engage in a rental way of working. Mud Jeans is one of the best examples working at the moment of how this can happen. Now, just a quick wrap up. Uh, 
facts for you. Consumers do want change. About one in three consumers that are polled just last year said that they had stopped purchasing certain brands because they either had ethical or sustainability-related concerns about them, which is, you know, a fair chunk. One in three. That's a fair old chunk. And actually, it was the lack of simple information that people found as a barrier to making choices and good choices. So again, about a third said that this is the reason they haven't changed their behavior. So people want to change, but then a good chunk of people don't know enough. So if you could be really clear about what you're doing, the benefits, you could capture quite a large and growing amount of people across a lot of sectors. But a quick word of warning, don't ever greenwash. Be very truthful about what you're doing. Be very truthful about the lengths that you've gone to, but also the steps you still need to take. And don't make anything sound better than it actually is. Through social media, you can be called out very quickly if somebody finds some little loophole that you're trying to misdirect people. This happens a lot with big brands. Um, so just be truthful. People really do value the truth. So really, when it comes to thinking about anything about making your business models more circular, it is very complicated for sure. But always be honest about what you're doing and what you want to do. Always be clear about the steps that people need to take to engage with you and to become more circular in their own way of living. Take responsibility, whether that's through rental, through that deposit return, or even allowing customers to send things back to you packaging wise or the product wise as well and ultimately create value. If you're creating value for the, your customer and you're showing that you're creating value for the planet, you are certainly gonna keep those customers for as long as possible. This is what Patagonia has always done and you have brand evangelists for Patagonia. So really always strive to be more circular and always do the very, very best that you can. So here's all my little details. If you do want to get in touch, you can find us with all the usuals and the website, onecircular.world. Um, drop me an email, say hi on Instagram. Um, I'm on Clubhouse as well, so you can find me on there occasionally, getting up on stage and yabbering away about anything circular. Um, and yeah, it's been really lovely to, to present to you guys. And yeah, any questions, I'd be delighted to, to help hopefully try and answer them. Oh, thank you, Claire. I love hearing you speak. It's no wonder to me that you're a lecturer. I wish I could have you narrate everything in my life. I would love that. And I definitely learned a lot. Um, so yes, before we get into the questions, I see some people joined us uh, since before we started Claire's presentation. So please feel free to share your contacts in the chat. And um, as well as, uh, especially if you didn't sign up through Eventbrite, then please uh, share your contacts so we can keep you in the loop. Um, other than that, uh, yes, so we will open up the floor now. If anyone has any questions, please make sure to unmute yourself uh, so that Claire can hear any questions that you may have for her. I think this is a sign that you just explained everything so clearly. <laughs> no one has any questions. Hi. Hi, Janet. Oh, hi, Aisha. Hi, Claire. I'm sorry, my technical difficulty unmute little later than I wanted, but thank you so much for this presentation. Oh my gosh, you broke like complicated thoughts and <laughs> information into like so digestible and I really appreciate it. Um, Claire, I, I have a question surrounding your thoughts on kind of the current culture of pursuing or, or how some customers will think that, okay, when I'm going for sustainability, like 
everything has to be perfect, everything has to be sustainable. And I think as like a startup um, e-commerce owner, I don't have the capital um, to to offer that, even though that's my goal of where I'm heading to. Um, what are your thoughts on how like I can explain to my customers that I'm, I'm working towards it? Um, yeah, because I think I, I'm having this like maybe self-doubt or I feel guilty of, of calling myself a pursuit of sustainability, but not kind of being able to offer that, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a huge amount of sense. And actually the eco-anxiety we've seen absolutely explode over the last sort of few years of people seeing these Instagram, Pinterest, perfect, beautiful, sustainable oh my god i live such a wonderful life that's not reality we all have the times we forget our reusable cup you know even though this is literally my life and what i live and breathe and teach and and love we all have things it's like we can't be perfect all the time so that's the main thing is to really communicate is that nobody is perfect but we're all striving and if you are striving to reach a particular goal so for example have uh, only a hundred percent home compostable packaging great how would you communicate that to your customer say this is the end goal this might be somewhere that we would love to be at the end of our second year or third year um and the other thing is to think about what would make the biggest impact for you and for your customers now so packaging is a great one so if you're sending anything out the thing that people get really aggravated about is packaging. So even though on your scale of things that you think is most important might not be packaging, if you think about it from that customer experience, that might be the thing that is their biggest bugbear, i.e. what do they do with this bit of packaging once, um, once they receive it in their home? Um, and I received uh, a really, actually, I've got some for my friend. My friend, um, he got a new job. So I got a really lovely brand of um, donuts. I, I met this guy through Clubhouse and they were uh, keto donuts, which sounds amazing. So basically they were like guilt free, apparently. Um, but what was lovely about the package is that the instructions and the different bits and pieces, information about the donuts came on paper that was really small. It wasn't big, it was a really small bit of paper and it was seeded paper. And it quite clearly said, we need to tell you all this for legal reasons. It was about ingredients and stuff, but we know you don't need to keep it. So basically here's some paper that you can compost, you can grow seeds. And it was a lovely little thing because I was like, that is amazing. They have to do this, but they're gonna make sure that this bit of paper is as good as this bit of paper can be. And it was a lovely experience opening that. Of course, the donuts were insane as well. But that little thing was just a really lovely touch because it made me think that they've thought beyond just their ingredients in their donuts. They thought about everything that was being packaged as well. So think about their, your customer experience, whatever that might be, whether it's face to face, whether it's virtual, uh, and be really clear and upfront about what you can do now for where you'd love to be in one year, two year, five years, whatever your vision might be, and get people involved in your journey through your social media, on your website, and keep people up to date. The good stuff and the stuff that's not going so well as well. Always be honest. Thank you so, so much. Wow, great. I was thinking maybe we'd just move on to Adam, but that was such a great uh, question as well as an equally great uh, answer. Um, actually, we have uh, another two questions. 
um, and maybe we can try to um, answer these quickly before we move on. Uh, and they're from Stephen, who always has great questions. First of all, he asked, uh, will loop scale? And two, are there efforts in the zero waste retail world to standardize on reusable containers, in parentheses, that you can use at multiple locations? Both really good questions. So will loop scale? Hmm. They scaled very quickly in the US. What I also thought was interesting when they came to the UK is I automatically thought putting the stereotypical who would be the consumer that would buy into this type of system, I thought they would have gone with Waitrose or Cardo, that kind of target market. They didn't. They partnered with Tesco's. So a much wider kind of customer base, which I think was a really great strategic choice because it's introducing a system to a very wide customer base. And maybe people that, as I say, they aren't the stereotypical will only buy organic kind of consumer. So I have real high hopes that this could be something that scales as long as people are able to swallow that quick, uh, the um, sorry, the small uh, cost at the beginning, which is the, the effectively the deposit. So you do pay a little bit more for the products in the outset. That is going to be the barrier. And quite often with anything that is ethical, sustainable, eco, you know, however you want to um, label this type of, of um, product, it does come with a higher cost because our upfront costs are more, our labor is more, um, our packaging might cost more. So it is a higher cost. So that's the only thing that might be the barrier for a large scale at the moment. But as everything, the bigger it gets, quite often the cheaper it can become and with regards to the zero waste retail world this is a really tricky one as well because some places will only allow you to wrap things in paper bags and then weigh them at the counter some things that some stores particularly smaller ones um, particularly in Brighton uh, allow you to put your own containers and put their own stickers at the bottom so effectively zeros your container and if you're going back to the same stores again you can use that um, I haven't seen anything as yet but it would be really helpful because, again, this is a barrier for a lot of people um, wanting to bring in their own containers, not understanding the system. Um, and, yeah, it would be great to have that as a more standardised system. Um, we will wait and see. But, yeah, it's something that definitely should be tackled. Great. Fantastic. So with that, uh, Adam, I would like to give you the floor. Now it is your turn to give us your lovely presentation. Well, thank you, Aisha. And actually, do you mind if I ask a question of Claire before I jump in? Claire, if you're still there, it looked like you just jumped yeah. off camera. I, I, I had a question and um, I was curious to hear your answer uh, before I jump in, which is um, specifically with regard to rental. Um, I had been thinking a lot about clothing rental uh, a couple of years ago and, and eventually I got turned off to it because I'm, I'm actually not certain of the environmental benefits relative to just outright purchasing an item, especially a used item. Uh, and so I guess I'd, I'd be interested in your, uh, your thinking um, about the benefits of rental. So yeah, I mean, the benefits of rental, uh, it's, it's, a, it's one that, that you, it takes a lot of weighing up. So yeah, when you say about the environmental cost, it's getting the item to the person, it's recovering the item from the person, it's cleaning the item. And now because of COVID, we've seen a lot of people being a lot more hesitant about something that is owned or been used by somebody else, and quite rightly so. So that has put a little bit of a pause on a lot of rentals. But what we have seen is more people being interested in, in the rental of very high ticket items. So stuff that they would like to wear once or twice, but don't 
maybe want to or cannot afford to actually own. So this is like the prom dresses, the event dresses. Yeah, when we have events, remember that, everybody, where you actually used to go and see people in real life. Um, so that kind of way of working, I think, is is where it will continue to get much, much bigger, like the Rent the Runway, which is a US example. We've got other ones around the world as well. What has been interesting with Mudge Jeans is they're sort of, even though it's sort of leasing rental, they're much at the lower scale. It's still expensive as an item, but it's allowing access for people over a period of time to get something that's a higher ticket, maybe a 150 pound pair of beautifully made organic Italian jeans. If you can't spend 150 quid at the outset, then it's spreading the cost effectively. Um, but then it is also rental in the sense that you can send it back. So that is a new way of working that is really started to grow um, and is continuing to grow. So, yeah, I think I'm with you. Clothing rental is something that we've had forever and it hasn't really changed too much. So it's an interesting one to watch. But, yeah, it's one that one that I sort of weigh up more than maybe some of the others. It's a great point. Yeah, in, in my mind, maybe there's two different types of rental and, and we can switch over. Um, but uh, there's the occasion where, and I think that makes sense, you don't need to buy a ball gown if you're only ever going to wear it once. It makes more sense to rent it so that multiple people can enjoy it. But then uh, in the U.S., we'd start, we started to see the growth of um, monthly subscription rentals. Mm -hmm. uh, rent the Runway was um, pioneering it where you'd get different items every month. And uh, to me, it just seemed like the, um, the costs of the transportation associated with it, as well as the packaging, as well as the cleaning and everything else, kind of outweighed the environmental benefits. And, and it also promoted this culture of, you know, continually wearing new items. Yeah, it does. It scratches the itch of fast fashion that some people have, but ultimately you're not changing the behavior. It just means yeah. that you're getting something on subscription rather than just buying it and and you know chucking it after a month which is unfortunately what a lot of people still do so should we be scratching that itch in a better way or should we just put in something and making that itch just disappear mm, yeah yeah one. great great way to put it uh well very good to meet all of you this morning um I am uh, representing from this side of the pond so uh it is still morning for me for another 20 minutes um very cool to be here because I recognize a lot of your names from uh, the community, the Slack community in particular, but haven't had a chance to see some of you yet. So uh, glad to be here. Um, Claire, that was an awesome presentation and, and it makes me wonder what the heck I'm doing here. I'm not sure there's anything more to present, but I was trying to furiously change my presentation um, uh, as I was listening to yours to see if there's something new that I could add as well. And so I'll, uh, I'll share my screen and, and go through the presentation rather quickly. I'd say that uh, I think what you did was lay a really good foundation for you know, how to define circular economy, uh, which of course is the objective of this call. Um, but then I'll dive a little bit more into the like actionable or, or practical steps that small and mid-sized brands can take to engage or begin to engage in circularity. I really like what you said at the beginning of your presentation, Claire, kind of defining the difference between circularity and sustainability. I'll try to, um, to highlight some of those differences through the examples that I share. I also really liked your hero brands at the end, and, and I have a few other hero brands that I'll share as well, just for examples, maybe on a, 
a smaller scale, which uh, that that might resonate with some of the folks on the line. Um, so first, I'll just start with myself. You know, who who am I, and and why am I? Uh, why do I have relevant experience to to talk about this subject? You know, I I started my journey in sustainability. Um, I think maybe a, a good bit later than you, Claire. But for me, it was. 2006 um, or 2007, maybe at that point, where I read the book called Cradle to Cradle. And if anyone's familiar with that, uh, it's basically early Bible for circularity, you know, thinking about how you can keep materials and products in circulation for indefinitely. I was an engineer at that point, uh, and it, it's written from sort of an engineer's point of view. And so it it really resonated with me. Um, at that point, I was going back to get my MBA. So I spent two years focused on sustainable business and really understanding corporate sustainability and corporate social responsibility. And then in 2010, I was hired into the trade association here in the US that represents the largest retailers and brands. And my role over the course of eight years was to build and then lead their sustainability and ethical production program. So I had a chance to lead industry collaborations on issues like conflict minerals, worker safety and human trafficking, as well as a number of environmental issues like renewable energy generation, waste and recycling toxics uh, and chemicals and products. Uh, and of course, over that time, circularity was becoming a bigger focus. Uh, there's plenty of organizations that are working on circularity, but one of the premier ones that seemed to come to um, prevalence over that time was the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. And so, you know, we had the chance to work with them as well as a number of others. And then specifically with regard to circularity, one of the uh, programs that we spun off was a, a global case competition where we would get MBA students from around the world to engage in circularity challenges and then ultimately bring the winners to Montreal, Canada. Uh, so that started about five years ago and still going today. So let me just get into things. I'll, I'll just say, you know, that, that if you're a business, the, the trends are clear. Um, engaging in sustainability and, and circularity are going to be beneficial for you. I think Claire said it well, but uh, consumers are certainly interested and increasingly so, especially with younger uh, consumers. Um, they actively look for the term sustainability or circularity in the products they sell. Again, it's important to be honest and straightforward about it. So you, you can't greenwash, but um, customers are looking for this. That's one of the biggest drivers of change in the, in the corporate world. Then these, these business models are becoming a lot more prevalent <laughs> as well. So, you know, I, I tend to think about uh, circularity from the perspective of individual products. And I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with uh, a life cycle analysis or life cycle assessment. And that would generally measure the environmental impacts associated with different stages of a product's life. We're looking at a linear uh, system right here, or a product's linear life cycle. And um, what we tend to find, now this is overgeneralized because you have to look really on a product by product basis, but especially with fashion, you'd find that there's two 
uh, life cycle stages that provide the biggest impacts. Uh, one is the raw materials, and you can think about like cotton, for instance, that requires a significant amount of water, uh, fuel, and uh, chemical inputs to produce. So there's a lot of um, embedded uh, costs, environmental costs associated with that. And then the second biggest tends to be, often tends to be the use of that product. And the, the rationale, again, this might be obvious, is that you wash your, your items a number of times, uh, often in hot water, and it takes a significant amount of energy to, um, to generate that, that uh, heated water. So, you know, that, this provides then a, a framework for us to think about how we can find the biggest opportunities for reduction. We'll talk about a few of these over the next several minutes, but you know, the short of it is, if you can find ways to uh, reduce the raw material inputs uh, by using recycled material, for instance, as opposed to virgin resources, then that can significantly reduce the impacts at that stage. At the use stage, of course, the individual can wash in cold water, wash less frequently. The additional benefit of that is that the product uh, will last longer. Um, but if you can find ways to keep items in circulation rather than uh, rather than needing to dispose of them or, or recycle them, then that has the potential to significantly reduce the impacts across the board. So let's talk about a few of these. First is uh, materials. You know, I, I already mentioned this. Um, there's several types of materials. Claire went into it as well. And, uh, and circular materials would be those that are recycled and recyclable. Um, and I, I think there's probably more that we could add to it as well, like uh, repairable. So if you can, if you can find and, and design products that use recycled content uh, as much as possible while, while keeping the, the quality of the item uh, and are made in such a way that they can be recycled, then that would ensure that those materials stay within the system. <laughs> I tend to think about uh, when you're engaging your suppliers, there's really three key questions that you should be asking them. Um, because of course, not all of us have control over our su supply chains, but you can still have influence over them. The first is what's in your product? What's in the product? You know, if, if you're designing the product, you're likely deciding what's in the product, but there are uh, certain categories of products um, where you're not that decision maker. And so you need to make sure you know, uh, as well as uh, ensure again, that as much uh, recycle or non-virgin content as possible is in it. Second, where does it come from? And then third is how it's made. So this is, this is more of generally a, a framework around uh, sustainable production, but can certainly be applied to circularity. With regard to packaging, you know, with the growth of e-commerce, and that's my focus now, there's been a, a significant increase in uh, packaging as it relates to e-commerce uh, deliveries. So there's the traditional cardboard packaging uh, that's recycled or recyclable and, and often recycled. Uh, that's good, but if you think about Claire's uh, hierarchy, it's not great. Uh, that will ultimately go to landfill um, and, and often sooner rather than later. There are new uh, packaging systems that are coming around that are being developed. The one that I have in the middle there is called Lime Loop. 
and um, it's made out of recycled material. Uh, I believe it's a, a, a PVC material, but uh, that means that it is extremely durable and can be used multiple times, uh, well, a number of times. Um, and Lime Loop actually rents these out to retailers and brands who will then use them for their deliveries and returns. And then uh, when they are uh, beginning to uh, scuff or tear, uh, they would then be returned to Lime Loop who will use, reuse as much of the material as possible. And then also thinking about a different level of the hierarchy, um, there are some new materials that are being developed now made out of natural contents like mushrooms as, as an interesting one. And the benefit of course to that is that uh, they can rot. Uh, I, I like that hierarchy. They, they, can, they can go into compost bins. So shipping, you know, one of the most important legs in the life cycle of a product and you know, depending on how you're shipping your product has a drastic influence on the, the carbon impacts associated with it. Now this, this is um, what I would call a, a linear impact because you, know, you, you can't recycle uh, transportation, uh, you have to deliver it, uh, but as much as possible, you can you know, re reduce the length of shipping and um, find a mode of shipping that reduces the impact uh, to the greatest degree. Um, but of course, where we're really focused today is, is circularity. And so uh, again, Claire, Claire showed that great butterfly diagram, but I'll, I'll try to distill this for small and medium-sized brands to think about like how can we specifically engage in, the, in circularity and, and taking this linear system um, and making it more circular. You know, we already talked about resale and reuse and, and I'll give you a few specific examples of that. That uh, is, top of the hierarchy because you can use the product as is without necessarily requiring any recycling or any um, yeah recycling but operations or handling of the product um, so there's there's no degradation uh, refurbishing and there are some brands now that are doing some really cool things by allowing uh, customers to send in their items to be refurbished or over the course of resale to refurbish products to, uh, to increase the resale value of the items. Post-consumer recycled content, you know, of, of course, if an item does eventually end uh, or get to the end of its um, useful life, then, then there are ways to keep the materials in circulation rather than requiring virgin materials. Pre-consumer recycling, of course, and, and rental, which we um, just discussed. So here, here are my hero brands, uh, just a few examples to, to kind of make this concrete. One brand, so I, I didn't say it, but um, the work that I do now is, is very specific. It's with um, direct to consumer brands, e-commerce brands, and allowing them to enable peer-to-peer -peer resale directly on their website. We chose resale because it's at the top of the hierarchy. You know, if you have something that's, um, stored under your bed or in your closet or garage or wherever it might be, then it's not being useful right now. And, and we want to get that item back into circulation so that somebody else can enjoy that item rather than having to buy a new item. And so one of the brands that we really love that, that are certainly pioneers in this space is um, Peak Design. 
they're based in San Francisco, but they sell globally. They have higher end camera accessories. So like this uh, everyday backpack, um, it's, for, it's primarily geared for uh, photography enthusiasts and professional photographers. And they just uh, implemented with us this, this great option to buy used. So if you will like this item, you can buy it new. It's kind of expensive for a lot of people. So there's also um, used options available directly on their website as well. And so this, this is where it gets you. For all of their items, they have peer-to-peer -peer listings. So this one, there's 29 listings currently available between 100 and 200 and $40. And if you were to click into it, you can see all of the different conditions of the items, the colors of the items, and then it would be shipped directly from the first customer to the second customer. We launched with LaLean recently as well. They have a program that they call ReLean. Uh, this is like a higher fashion brand based out of New York. Um, and the great thing about them, you know, beautifully on brand. This is a, a great visual experience for a customer for customers who want to buy pre-owned instead of going to a place like eBay that frankly is just not a great experience. Um, but all of these now are pre-loved items. So items that, uh, that the first customer is looking to sell to the second customer. We work with a brand called Brass Clothing. They're based in Boston, but this is, this is not our work. This is just their own awesome work for Take Back. They offer their customers uh, several times per year the option to buy this bag. It's just a bag, uh, but I think they charge something like 18 US dollars. They'll send this bag to you. You fill it up with whatever you want, and then it ships directly to a clothing um, recycler. The awesome thing about that is just that it makes it super simple. And they actually get tons of interest. You'd be amazed. They get, they get tons of interest. <laughs> this is a brand that I came across um, a couple of years ago called Jackaloo. They primarily focus on kids' clothing and uh, have this awesome trade-up program where you can send your items back to them. Uh, they'll clean them. They'll up upcycle them. They'll give you a $15 uh, discount on your next purchase. And then they have a, a beautifully designed web page, if you have a chance to go to it, where uh, you can see all of the upcycled uh, kids items. Toad & Co has implemented, so they're, they're uh, also US clothing brand focus on kind of like outdoor fashion. They uh, have implemented the Lime Loop program, but what I think is especially cool is that it's not just that they send it, it's that they create an experience around it and, and use it as a way to educate the consumer. So anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll skip the, um, the summary since we only have a couple minutes left and, and uh, open it up for questions. Thank you, thank you, Adam. That was such a great way to kind of go more in depth um, from the groundwork that Claire laid, uh, laid out for everyone in the first half. So yes, um, does anyone have any questions for Adam? All right, so I gotta come in here. Um, hey, Adam, nice hey, to see you. you. So my big question is, will efforts like resale, um, circularity, um, do you think this is going to be brought to more consumers via new upstart brands versus the big established corporate brands that are already kind of there? Obviously, you want you don't you don't you don't want uh, you want both, right? But 
I sort of feel like there's maybe we need to better understand like just how will this help upstart brands break through by being more circular? Yeah. Well, I'll say, you know, now I've had a chance to work with the largest brands in my last role and now small and mid-sized brands. And, and I'll say that the small and mid-sized brands are always the pioneers, you know, that they're the ones that are willing to be more innovative and, and try things differently. You know, their, their legal teams are not as big, so they, they don't have as much to worry about in terms of legal risks and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, that, that's almost always the case. But I do, I do uh, believe, or I'm already seeing, that large brands are engaging in circularity. Uh, some of Claire's hero brands, like Ikea's uh, and Patagonia, of course. Uh, Patagonia is a pioneer in this, but um, Ikea as well. Uh, but then, uh, you know, here in the U.S. or Canada, Lululemon just announced a resale program. They're certainly huge. And we're talking with a number of large brands about implementing resale with them as well. So it'll go that way for sure. That said, yeah, always, almost always the case that smaller mid-sized are the pioneers. There are a lot of fans of Patagonia. P uh, Peter just uh, uh, sang his, his applause as well for Patagonia in the chat. Um, but yeah, it's definitely um, for sure fans. But yeah, I hope that of all of the hero brands that were mentioned today, uh, they see a spike in their sales, hopefully, yeah. and contribute to them, show them that there is a demand and a desire to support brands who participate in these kind of practices. Um, and yeah. Wow, what an incredible, valuable, educational, just brilliant event that was. Thank you so much to Claire and Adam once again. And thank you to everybody who came. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, if you enjoyed this, we do have our Mindful Commerce Sustainability Framework, which is available for you to download from our website. Um, it covers six pillars of sustainability and positive impact specifically for e-commerce businesses. So whether you're an e-commerce brand, a e-commerce service provider or solution, tech solution, um, then this is for you if you want to make a difference in the world with your business. And of course, please do join the free community. We are doing lots of different things all the time and it's very, very exciting. Um, and you can join by going to our website, mindfulcommerce.io and click on community. And you can download the framework from our website as well. You just go to mindfulcommerce.io slash sustainability dash framework. And yeah, I hope to see you in the community. I hope to see you at other events that we run. We are going to be doing 15 minute live trainings inside the Facebook group soon with our experts. Um, so yeah, just come and join in and let's have fun and make a difference in the world. Have a lovely day. We hope you enjoyed the episode today. If you did, you'll probably like being in our community. There's a whole host of exciting things going on. So don't forget to join by going to mindfulcommerce.io. Click on community and register from there. If you like this episode, please share, leave a review and remember to subscribe.